follow you wholeheartedly. It's your name I pray. Amen. Well, good morning again. Um, I have the blessing, and you have the blessing, of me not preaching today. Um, yeah, thank you. Amen for that. Uh, I want to thank you guys. One of the things that the church blesses me with is some conference time, and we just got back from some conference uh, with some Acts 29 church planters in Colorado, so that was awesome. Uh, just to get to see the mountains, that alone was wonderful, but learned a lot. Yeah, amen. Learned a lot as well, and uh, so I want to thank you guys for that. Um, but also want to thank Mike Harris for uh, being willing to fill in for us. Uh, I've known Mike for quite a long time. I was just trying to think my first memory of meeting Mike. I think I was eight, and he was he and Carol were newlywed couples that were Young Life leaders, and we were having some kind of Young Life meeting at our house. We grew up on the other side of the county in the Temple, and they had just moved to town. I think I was about eight years old. Maybe Lindsay was a baby at that point. I think he still drove like a cool little sports car back then, too, before moving on to the minivan and having a few more kids. Um, but that's how I remember meeting him, meeting him around ministry and mission uh, in our home for a meeting about Young Life, which is a ministry for reaching high school kids. Um, and I've gotten to know him quite a bit over the years as well. He's been a blessing to me. Uh, he served as an elder over at Temple Bible Church. And uh, when I was on staff there as an assistant pastor, he was kind of my elder that, that was... Uh, in charge of uh, encouraging me and loving on me while I was there. So enjoyed that relationship, and he's really put a lot into me over the years. I want to thank him for that. Um, want to remind you, though, that he's not a preacher, so, you know, be easy on him. But uh, I do want to let you know that he is a general, though, so be respectful. So here he is. Thank you very much, Mike. <laughs> general dentist, by the way. That's different than a general, right, Dave? Are there any real generals? Are there any real generals in the room? I want to make sure there's not any real generals. Get myself in trouble here. Uh, I did ask Chris to uh, sing Crowning with Minnie's Crowns on, and he refused to do that. Don't you think that would have been appropriate this morning? Um, it's a privilege for me to be here. It's a privilege for me to just be in this family, this uh, this body of Grace Bible Church. We've learned, we've been here, my wife Carol and I, my wife has uh, we've been married 32 years this month. My daughter Leslie just graduated from high school. We have three other kids that are all grown and, and launched off. But, but to be here in the midst of this group is such a privilege. In the last few years, we have learned so much from you. Uh, it's been our privilege to uh, teach the, the young adult class for the last few years. And in that group, we have met some awesome, awesome people. And we've learned from them things like uh, sacrifice, uh, commitment to our nation, uh, the price they pay, their love for the Savior, their passion for the Savior for one another. Uh, we've really grown to value and appreciate the contribution of the spouses of the, our deployed folks and, and the ministry that they have to us as a nation. And so uh, it's my chance to stand in front of you and say thank you for that. We love Dave and his staff and his team, the elders here. And, and then the stories we hear about you, you know, throughout the week is such an encouragement just to be a part of this body. So for all that we've been given, it's the least I can do to stand in front of you and to uh, give back 
in a time like this of things that we were taught, Carol and I were taught early in our Christian life, that when we learned them, became a, an epiphany experience. A, a change the way we see our life, the way we see our work, the way we parent, the way we uh, grew in our marriage. Important information. I grew up in a uh, Christian home, but was uh, discouraged and disillusioned in my high school years because I saw a, a perceived lack of relevance between what happened on Sunday and Sunday morning and then what happened in the real world. Monday through Saturday. And that bothered me as a young person. Uh, it seemed that, you know, God should be more than that. And I was in a spiritual fog all the way into dental school through college. And a, and a couple just put their arms around us, one of the professors there, and, uh, and just started loving on us. Had us over to his home, had us uh, shared with his family and his wife, uh, took us in, opened the scriptures to us and a group of folks in their home, and lived a gospel-centered life in front of us. That made a lot of difference. One day I asked him, I said, uh, Joe, I haven't heard you mention church anywhere. He goes, oh yeah, we, we're part of a church family across town. This is in Dallas. And uh, we, we're active there. We teach Sunday school. But you know what I like best about that church is that it fires us up. It resources us. It encourages us. It sends us out into the week back to my ministry on Monday. And I said, ministry on Monday? What in the world are you talking he goes, yep, this, this school is my ministry. I sold my business so I could be here. It just took it an opportunity uh, that God gave me to, to have a ministry at the school Monday through Saturday. I said, now that's the kind of God that I want to know. That's the God. It seems if he's God at all, he is God of all. None of this part-time God, none of this Sunday morning stuff, uh, Wednesday night, but God of everything. That's the God I'm interested in. And I think that's the God that our culture is interested in knowing. Uh, he taught us for the next few years some principles that we see uh, this morning in the, in the book of Second uh, Corinthians, chapter 5. If you'll turn there, uh, we'll read that together. That's page 966 in the uh, few Bibles underneath. If you didn't bring your Bible, let's, uh, let's read that together. Second Corinthians 5. 14 through 21. He goes, uh, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet... Now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against him. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray. Father, would you open up this passage and show us things in this passage that are on your heart. 
things that are directed towards the heart of us here this morning. We pray that you'll, your spirit will sensitize our hearts to these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, as a foundation, I'd like to uh, discuss the profile of a pre-Christian. This was Mike Harris. That's me before Christ. And that circle represents uh, my life. And in the center of that life is the S, which represents my favorite subject at the time, which was me, self. Uh, the mission for this guy is clear. It is self-preservation. Stay around as long as possible to survive. Self-actualization. I want to get as much as I can, as long as I can. I want to get the most out of this place that it's offered. I want to be successful as our culture has defined success, and we know what that means. We want to be successful. And I want as much pleasure as possible, a little pain as possible. Right? That's our mission as pre-Christians. Uh, to accomplish that mission, we put things in our life. We have uh, our hobbies, our resources, the things we own, our cars, our careers. We place our... Uh, girlfriends, and ultimately our wives, our families in that circle. Uh, we might even put a little church in that circle. Because, you know, all those things mixed up help us accomplish the mission. You know, a little church isn't too bad. Uh, in fact, some total of that circle represents the identity, my identity as a pre-Christian. All these things are represent who we are, right? Uh, this person is estranged from God. He is separated from God. That's God up there. He's, he's uh, separated. He's a self-enclosed entity because uh, <clears throat> all the, another word for what's in that circle is sin, right? And sin separates us from God. Uh, if one of those things falls out of the circle and starts going bad, then we become sorrowful because now our mission and our identity is threatened, right? And maybe two or three of them begin to fall out. Maybe our life begins to un un just unravel. Two or three—it seems like that's how it works, right? Several things start to unravel. We become disillusioned. The things we placed our trust in, things that we hoped in to become successful and happy, are now failing us, and we go into despair. There's no hope. Where do we turn? Usually, it's during that time that someone compelled by the love of Christ invests in our life. Somehow, we hear the gospel. We recognize our sin. We recognize our separatedness. That's a word from God. And uh, we uh, recognize that those things have disappointed the things we've placed our trust in. And now we get on our knees before the Father and we say we, we would like you to come into our lives, fill us up, uh, forgive us of our sin, and we become believers. And somehow it's a, it's a miraculous thing. The love of Christ controls us and concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all die. Somehow in the heavenlies, my Karis, the old my Karis, dies. He's nailed to the cross before God. He's buried and dies. And somehow in the heavenlies before God, a new man, as Jesus is risen from the dead, a new person, a new creature is arisen. A new creature called my Karis. That's the, the old is dead and the new is alive. There's a new creature in Christ. And the distinctive about this new creature in Christ it is he has access to the King of Kings, the God of the universe, now pours into that circle and fills him up with abundant resources. The righteousness of Christ, grace and power and truth now fills up this new creature in Christ. And he has a new mission. 
God says, I know you now, and I'm putting you on mission to be living for me. Your mission is now to live for me. You're dead, and you have a new mission. And God puts in things in our lives that he wants to accomplish that mission. He takes things out that he wants that may hinder that. And sometimes when we lose one of those things, we become sorrowful because we, we kind of think that those are losses. But we realize quickly that God has supplied everything we need to do what he wants us to do. And therefore, we do never despair as new creatures in Christ because we have hope and we have resource and that God and our identity is in him. Amen? This is all through scripture. It says, I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. Now, Romans, it says, for not one of us lives for himself and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Amen? Is that awesome? I mean, we could stop there. We see in this passage three qualities of a new creature in Christ, a believer in Jesus, a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. We'll just call that guy a disciple of Jesus for our passage this morning. We see three qualities about that this verse describes. One is, in verse 16, that no, therefore from now on we recognize no man according to the flesh. A disciple of Jesus sees people like God sees them. Right? The old man sees uh, people according to the flesh or like people that don't are not redeemed see them. How do we used to see people? We saw people as objects of comparison. You know, I'm better than him. Uh, I'm worse than him. He's farther ahead. I'm farther behind. And we see people as resources or tools or pawns to help us. We put them in our lives so that they further our mission, right? Or maybe they're threats. Maybe they, they hinder or threaten our mission. We need to deal with them. We get them out of our lives. But people basically have value in how they impact me as a pre-Christian. The disciple of Jesus sees people like God sees them. And how does God see them? As unique creations of his that he values and he loves so much that he gave his only begotten son. He loves those people. And since we are his, because of the resources he pours into us, we therefore see them like he sees them. We're free to love them. We're free to serve them, even at our own expense, because we have abundant resources pouring into our lives. We have something to give. So the disciple of Jesus sees people like God sees them. No longer according to the flesh, but like God sees them. Uh, we're not dependent as believers, as disciples, on the opinion or the approval of others to quantify our value, our value, or our identity. Right? Secondly, the disciple of Jesus in verse 17 lives with eternal perspective. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, new things have come. The disciple of Jesus is not paralyzed or defined by the past. You know, as disciples of Jesus, we have an enemy. The enemy is characterized as the father of lies. And sometimes during the week, we leave here and we start hearing those lies. But you hear on Monday morning, you know, you aren't measuring up. Uh, you really blew it this weekend. You know, you really blew it this weekend. You know, uh, you know those guys around you at work, they're getting further down the road than you are. You better do something about that. You better make it happen. You better cut their knees out. You better raise yourself up. 
you know, if you just bought one of these and you had a bigger one of those, uh, if you just had a little more of this, then people would be able to look and see, yes, you're significant now. I hear those lies, don't you? Starting on Monday, all day long, all week long. Uh, those things generate emotions in me. And they generate, those emotions flare up and become behaviors. And next thing you know, we're living uh, inconsistent with who we really are as disciples, as new creations in Christ. <clears throat> That's why it's so important during the course of the week that we spend time in this door to God, retooling our brain, reminding each other of truth. It's important and critical that we be in the company and companionship of other believers of knit heart, of like mind, where we remind each other what is true, who we are. Uh, we have blind spots. Sometimes others around us say, you know, why are you thinking that way, Mike? That's a lie from the pit. Here is truth. Here's what the Word says. Think different. I meet with a group of guys on Friday morning. I have for 20 years the same guys. And that's what we do. We get together. We read the Scripture. We share our lives. And they look at me and they say, that's a lie, buddy. You are buying a lie. Here's what truth says. Erase that in your mind. Get back out there. Think correctly. That's what fellowship is. That's what we do together. That's the relationships, redemptive relationships that God gives us within this family, in the community. we got to have them. After 30 years, I depend on that every week. Uh, Dave depends on it. Billy Graham depends on it. There is no such thing as an independent, isolated Christian. We just begin to think too weird. We need each other. It's essential. So the disciple of Jesus lives with eternal perspective. We remind each other on Friday morning that one thing we do, we forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. We press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of Jesus, of God in Christ Jesus. Thirdly, as we see in the rest of this passage, the disciple of Jesus lives consistently with a new mission. He is called to a mission. In fact, this passage says, Now these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the service of reconciliation. That implies that there's a group of folks over here who are separated from God. There's a group over here who are estranged from God, either by ignorance or by deception or rebellion. They are apart from God. And there's a God over here that loves them and wants them to be in relationship with him. And he's given us that mission to be a part of that. To do that, you know, God could have reconciled the world a number of ways. He could have had everybody in Kaleen come to this place. And Dave preached eloquently and clearly. And that's what he could have used. But he had a, another strategy. He takes ordinary folks like you and me. And he transforms us. He fills us with his spirit and his grace and his power and his mind over time, making us look like him, and he sticks us into the culture out there. He places us into a sphere of influence. And uh, Dave talks about sphere of influence all the time, doesn't he? A sphere of influence, if you're new here, is a place where we are insiders in a culture that is unique to us. It's a place where people know us, where they see us, they relate to us. We are one of them. And we live in front of them, in the crucible of life, as they watch. That's our sphere of influence. Uh, kind of a small picture, but here's, here's a picture of my sphere of influence. 
just a snapshot of it. Here's my family. Uh, we have uh, a large family with in-laws and, and uh, grandmas, and, and uh, we have uh, a place where I work. Uh, I'm a dentist, so I'm an insider to the dental community in Bell County. I know all the dentists. I know their staffs. I know who they are. I know the vendors. I know the uh, salespeople. I know uh, our patients and a lot of others. I mean, there's a lot of people that I live around. I am an insider. I know what they think. I know how they feel. I struggle the way they do. Uh, we have uh, neighborhoods. We have people in our community that we work with throughout the week, throughout the years, 28 years in the same place. Uh, I coach soccer for my daughter's under 13 girls team. There was 20 girls, 20 sets of parents, 20 uh, grandparents, 10 teams, all the same. I'm an insider in the soccer world for a season. I'm like them. We go through the same thing. They're watching our team. They're watching us. We know each other. We're insiders. One of the things we do in our small group of, say, 20 folks, we ask the question, well, who is in your sphere of influence? Is it uh, folks you serve with in Afghanistan, Iraq, out there for hood? Uh, you coach your kids' soccer teams. You have your neighborhood. You have kids in high school. They're a part of the band. You're a band parent. You're, you're in the band. You're a band kid. You are a band person just like everybody else in the band. If you're in college, you're a student, you relate to other students. You are an insider in the world of college. Maybe you uh, have neighbors that you know. In our small group, we, we sit around and talk about this, and we say, well, let's think about this. Here's, a, here's a, Nick has a, has a sphere of influence of, uh, of a 1,000 or two. Maybe there's a guy over here who has influence of Fort Hood who has an influence of 10,000 of sphere of influence, people that know and are watching it. Some people 500, somebody this, somebody this. When we look in that little small group of 20, we know that, that if we added up that God has given us influence in a population of people that exceeds the city of Colleen in that one little room. And if you added up what's here in this body, we have 500 folks or so. If all on mission, all taken seriously the calling, we have influence that God might use across this entire county, maybe the state, parts of the nation, remotest parts of the world, some of you are all over the world, right here in this body, we would have influence that God would use us to have a worldwide impact for the kingdom. Right here. Isn't that a cool strategy? Effective. If that's the case, then who is, uh, who, could, who could not do the job? I mean, we are all called. Who's, who is essential? Everyone's essential. Uh, everyone is critical. Everyone has their unique sphere of influence. In fact, when people in my sphere of influence begin to kind of hit the wall, they don't call a guy like Dave. They're not going to call a pastor. Most are not believers. But they'll invite Carol and I into their home to sit around their table and talk about their kids and the sensitive parts of their life. They'll, they'll talk with us because I'm one of them. Uh, people in my sphere of influence, if they struggle, they're not going to call Chris Morgan or Steve Watson. Uh, they're going to the folks in Steve's uh, sphere of influence are going to call him and see how it works. They're not going to call people from others, you know. And in a body like this size, it's fun to see how these spheres overlap. In a town that's small like this, my sphere overlaps with Steve's, and my sphere overlaps with Eric's, and we might know people in the same areas. And all of a sudden, there's a cumulative effect of these spheres working together, and God somehow orchestrating and networking these spheres together to the furtherance of His kingdom. 
in a town this size, that happens a lot, doesn't it? This passage calls us ambassadors. Ambassadors that, uh, that are on duty 24-7. We have ambassadors to England uh, from the United States. When they go over there, they are the United States, aren't they? Eight to five, they're ambassadors. Uh, when he's playing golf on Saturday, when there's families at a restaurant, when he speaks, he has to speak the words of the United States. He can't ever think and talk about it on his own opinions. He speaks, he speaks the United States. People see him, they see the United States. And so are we. He calls us ambassadors for Christ. So as not to be misunderstood, I think God knows what he's dealing with. He really doesn't intend to place us into these spheres of influence as, uh, as uh, pictures of the profile of perfection in the Christian life. As much as we would like to, we're not perfect. In fact, Carol will tell you that uh, I'm far, far from perfect. I mess up every day, just like you do, just like we all do. But the interesting thing is, and, and I'm comforted by the fact that when I'm out there messing up, it seems that I have a greater impact and a greater connection to that spirit of influence than when I'm supposedly doing things right. Uh, in fact, it's in our disappointments. It's in our uh, failures. It's in our fears and crises. It seems like those people are watching us even closer. It's a place where, uh, where you know, the, 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 our heart and soul comes out in the midst of, of pain. And people are watching. In fact, it's uh, probably the most powerful moment in a, in a family when the dad pulls the kids together and says, you know, kids... I have blown it. Of course, you knew I've blown it. Who knows I've blown it. I've blown it. Uh, would you forgive me? I've fallen short of the calling that God has left me here. I've, I've fallen short. I've messed up. Would you forgive me? And pray with me. Man, those kids hear that. They hear that and see Dad mess up. And they say, you know, Dad's serious about this. Uh, that's the way I want to be. In fact, I'm going to be serious. He models the real life authentic life in front of his kids. No, employers like hiring disciples of Jesus as well. Because the disciple of Jesus, his, his identity is secure, his, all of his resources, what he needs is, are given by a heavenly father. Therefore, when he represents that father in the workplace, he works hard. He gets there early and leaves late. He gives his employer his money's worth. He works with excellence. Because he represents a God of excellence. If you're a plumber, you got to be the best plumber you can be. If you're a teacher, a teacher of excellence that does their homework, is prepared. Uh, if you're an insurance guy, you got to be the best insurance guy. If you're a soldier, you want to be an exemplary soldier. A worker that earns their respect, not by their preaching in the workplace, not by their words, but by his integrity, by his honesty, the disciple keeps his word. And because his career does not define him, he's free to elevate others in the workplace, to make them uh, This guy, when he goes to a board meeting or in the, in the community, when he walks in the room, a disciple of Jesus is a resource to the room, is a blessing. Others are better in that room. The meetings go better because of his presence 
He's discerning with his words. He doesn't gossip. He doesn't tear people down. He takes seriously this verse. These are the things you learn in your small groups. In the workplace, whatever you do, you work heartily for the Lord rather than for men. Knowing that it's from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance. It's the Lord Christ whom you serve. It's not even your employer. Your employer is getting the benefit the fact that you are as a disciple of Jesus committed to a higher calling to represent a holy and righteous God in the workplace. You know, there are opposite examples out there as well. Without dwelling on it, we do know people who, who proclaim to be Christians who are living a life that says just the opposite. We know people like that. People that in the workplace are known as lazy they're known as incompetent or gossips or self-serving or worse, engaged in sexual immorality, living in front of the culture in a way that sends an opposite message. These are people who have, have never gotten a clue about why we are here. They've missed the point. Instead of being ministers of reconciliation, they're ministers of confusion. And that's, that's not what we're about here at Grace Wild. People are watching, aren't they? They're watching us. They're watching this body. And in a town this size, you think they're not watching, but they are. What does a checker at HP think when she sees your family rolling up in the line? Oh, no. Here they come. Or, ah, here they come. We want to be that, ah, here they come sort of people. We want to be blessings, resources. You know, more often I hear stories about... Uh, Folks in this body and around town, like Jerry, uh, who was talking, I was talking to a single mom, and she said, oh, you know Jerry, yeah, Jerry, he's a great guy, man, he came to our single parent support group, and he said, you know, by the way, if any of you ladies have uh, sons without dads, I want to teach them to play ball. I'm a baseball player, I will teach them to hit a ball and to throw a ball. She goes, my son has just fallen in love with this guy. Sometimes he takes him for a coke afterwards, just talk with him. He's taught him to play ball. My son wants to be like Jerry. He loves Jerry. Oh, he's a Christian. Oh, yeah. Man, I hope my son becomes a Christian like him. Or maybe you, uh, there's Dr. Dr. Steve out in the clinic. Uh, the lady's telling me, oh, you know Dr. Steve. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he is such a blessing to my husband. My husband was having all sorts of physical problems, but he'd go there and he would pray with him, spend time with him. Maybe he even, he even called him one time. Afterwards. In fact, our whole family is just blessed when we see him. We always come away encouraged. You know, I've seen his family out there, and uh, what a beautiful family. And, oh, they're Christians. Yeah. Man, I wish our family was like that. That's, maybe we should be like that. I want to know more about that. Or there's Sean, who uh, is ministering in the neighborhood to this family that suffers with addiction issues as parents. She's over there taking the kids home for the weekend. She's over there bringing food, cleaning the house. And meanwhile, unbeknownst to her, the, family, the neighborhood is watching. Well, why is that lady over there? That is a, a difficult family. Why is she doing that? Oh, she's a Christian. It seems like that's how we should be. Maybe I'd like to get to know her. Her life set the stage for her preaching. You know, that's um, that sort of thing hit me like a ton of bricks. Finally, when that's soaked in, that I am not here for myself. 
the fact there's no such thing as an ordinary disciple of Jesus. If, you're, if you are a plumber, you are the best plumber, but you're not just an ordinary plumber. You're not an ordinary teacher. You're not an ordinary secretary. There's no such thing as ordinary disciples of Jesus. They are people indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. They're filled with His grace and power. They're on mission for the rest of their life as ambassadors reflecting the King of Kings. They're warriors in a battle for the souls of men. They're engaged in the extension of the kingdom of God day by day in the lives of people. There's no accidents in the life of a disciple. There's no accidental conversations. People are talking to me today. That means they could be anywhere, but they are talking with you. That is a divine appointment to speak the Father's words and to show what he looks like. There's no circumstances that are accidents. There are only opportunities. There are strategic kingdom opportunities to reflect a holy and awesome and righteous God. There's no accidents when we have challenges and setbacks. Setbacks and challenges are just opportunities to present what joy in the Savior looks like. In fact, I'm confident that God puts us into situations oftentimes into crisis, into failure on purpose. Not really as concerned about the outcome of that crisis as he is about demonstrating to a watching world what his provision looks like with skin on. Uh, what his sufficiency looks like. What joy in the midst of suffering looks like for real. That's what he's worried about. He's worried about and he's focused on the integrity of the disciple to live transparent, accurate lives about who Jesus is in front of the watching world. If you believe that, that changes the way you pray. That prayer changes the way you see the world. Doesn't it? We are on mission as disciples of Jesus. This means a life of intention, a life of purpose, living authentically and transparently in front of a watching world. Uh, you never know what God's going to throw away. When you're on mission. You never know who's going to be in front of you. You never know how your sphere is going to work. You never know what he's going to do through you in the lives of people. But it's just going to blow your mind. One author, one songwriter calls it the great adventure. Life in the Savior. Life on mission. You know, I used to think that people in full-time ministry uh, were guys like Dave, guys like Stephen, Billy Graham, missionaries. But according to this passage, full-time ministry describes us. It describes you, it describes you, and you, and me. We are in full-time ministry for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are a disciple of Jesus, on mission. Amen? We are that. That's how God sees us. And we God in Ephesians 4, God gives us gifted men like they and the team here, the elders, to equip the saints, that's us, for the work of service. But we are the front line. That is our divine calling. Thank you. Here at Grace Bible, that is what is at the heart and soul of this place. It is to equip, to train, you look at the mission statement, to introduce people to the grace of Christ help people grow and to become more like the Savior that's pouring into us so that we're accurate and like Him uh, and to equip us to do the work. That's what keeps Dave and his team awake. It's just thinking, how can we use all the resources here to help this 
and you and you become all you can be in the safe to resource you, to equip you, to pour into you so that you can go do the work across this nation. So this morning I'll, uh, I'll challenge you. How are you doing as an ambassador for Jesus Christ? Are you on mission? Are you better at it this year than you were last year? Are you growing? Are you more effective this year? Have you, have you learned more about the Savior? Have you learned more about how to integrate into the workplace than you did last year? In five years from now, are you going to be better? Through the grace of God and through His sufficiency, that's His desire for us. If we grow and become warriors, you know, He doesn't do battle with babies. And Peter, it talks about growing in the Savior, longing for the pure milk of the Word that you may grow in respect for your salvation. That takes work. That takes attention on our parts to become a warrior for the Savior. He desires that that's what we need to do. And are you there? Are you, in an, are you in an environment, a small group, or a place where you're learning about how to work this out week in and week out? If you're not, and if you would like to, you know, this fall, uh, there'll be new opportunities open up. Sometimes summer times is a little planning time, but, but I encourage you during the summer to call Dave, call Stephen, call the staff, call the elders, take them to lunch, and say, you know what? I want to be a warrior. I want to grow in the Savior. I want to delight myself in Him. I want to know about Him. I want Him to live in me and do awesome things. I'm tired of being an ordinary baby Christian. We've been called to a higher calling. We're called to serve a holy and risen God. He is great. He is glorious. He is worthy of nothing less than that. Amen? close with this. You, my brothers and sisters here at Grace Bible are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works in your life and bring glory to the Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for who you are. Thank you for saving us, reaching down from heaven and by the compelling love of Christ for us and by us that you have saved us, reconciled ourselves to you and you have given us your spirit and your mission. Pray that you would give us eyes to hear and a heart to follow this mission. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for using us. Thanks for loving us. And thank you for this passage. Pray these saints in Jesus' name. Amen. We just wanted to sing this uh, last song together as a follow-up to that, just um, to say to God, here am I, um, take my life, and just uh, really encourage you all to pay attention to the words. It's just really thick stuff, and if you, uh, you, know, if you need to just be quiet and, and listen and can't quite say that yet, that's okay, just to think about what it would mean for you to, to give your life fully to Christ or, or more fully each day. So let's sing these words together. Take my 
us wherever you send us on mission for you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You're dismissed.